Welcome back, Red Spotters, to another episode of the Red Spotlight Entertainment Podcast. I'm your host here, Alexa Soto, and today I am joined by Mr. Peter Martinez. Peter, how are things looking for you this week? Are you tired? Are you exhausted? Are you standing? What's new? Um, I'm glad that those are the only three options. <laughs> are you happy? Are you getting along just fine? I am alive. Okay. Well, I mean, like, you give the same answer every week, so I just try to, I don't know, kind of throw you off maybe. It won't be I'm alive for a change, but mm-hmm. you seem hell bent on just, you know, making that seem the only answer that you can never answer. So it's truthful. It's the it's the truth. Hey, it's it's the truth. Well, guys, today we have uh, an interesting episode going over uh, some news that has been breaking over the past week. With the rundown on what's happened in haunt stuff this week, we're going to start off by uh, honoring and remembering Stephen Hellenberg, the creator of Spongebob Squarepants, who passed away this week at the age of 57 uh, from his uh, battle from ALS. We will also get into the continuing uh, chopping block at Marvel Netflix. Uh, And this one is quite significant because the original uh, Daredevil has been cancelled after three seasons. Breaking news that's happening uh, fresh off the presses uh, of the day that we are recording, in fact. We will also get into... The circle of life that keeps giving Peter and I the greatest gift of all. The trailer for the live-action adaptation of The Lion King. We didn't talk this about past... this before. No, it hasn't. The Fantasy Fair hasn't even talked about this, surprisingly enough. So. Oh, my God. We, okay. we get the exclusive. Yay. We get the exclusive. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we get the exclusive Lion King, uh, which broke many records on that day for the trailer. Mm-hmm. We're also, in, in a similar fashion, we will get into uh, how and why Venom Venom has grossed over $800 million worldwide. We have to have better topics than this. We are. And we'll also share our thoughts on uh, Black Friday for you Blu-ray collectors. are going to get more into physical media, what uh, films we decided to buy and not buy and what to look out for this holiday season for your physical media, and perhaps some other topics that Peter might have ready in case Venom is just too much of a disgusting force to mention. Probably, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I will, I'll, I'll check in with Peter Martinez throughout the episode if he has a topic in there somewhere that he can just throw out, because, I mean, if the president can like take anything out of his ass and go with it, so can we, right? Yeah. I think that's fair. All this and more on Red Spotlight number 139. So, um, we do have some sad news. Uh, it's Steven Hillenberg, who did create the SpongeBob SquarePants show on Nickelodeon, of which, how could anyone not know what this show is, um, which debuted back in 1999, did pass away this week uh, from ALS and... Um, yeah, it's uh, unlike the last uh, person we talked about who, let's say, passed away peacefully after a long life. This was one of those cases where, unfortunately, life was cut short because of a um, of a of a disease. And uh, I want to start with Peter. Uh, where are your thoughts on this? Uh, Obviously, he was a great talent. Obviously, he died young. I consider some people are going to say I consider he young. You, you didn't. The the disease of which took his life is a very 
disgusting and unforgiving one and it's it's sad and and, and I, there's not much more than you can say than that but you know in death it's always best to reflect on someone's life not their death death is quick life is very long I think and that's the life is what matters to who a person was not their death so I mean he himself uh, he brought me a lot of happiness <laughs> as a kid and even older um, brought a lot of people a lot of happiness his awesome zany weird sense of humor and cartoons and imagination and he had a lot of awesome talent that he used to entertain the world which i think is it's great can't tell you uh, how many times i would say most of us have uh watched uh spongebob especially in our earlier childhood i mean uh for those listening i think uh you get the impression, certainly, that Peter and I are around the same age demographic. And so SpongeBob is one of those shows that we did grow up on. Oh, yeah. And uh, so many countless hours. That early SpongeBob, too. <laughs> that OG shit. The OG shit, as you will. Um, uh, arguably, when, when the show was at its, at its peak. Because that's before he left. He, mm -hmm. he left after the first SpongeBob SquarePants movie. After three seasons and the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. Yes. He did come back for Sponge Out of Water, which, again, I also really like. And it's just weird fun. Um, I was going to get into it uh, about all that is uh, while, we, while we're talking about Steven Hillenburg, we're talking about SpongeBob. Because it's, it's one of those things I don't think we've actually ever talked about on a podcast. About SpongeBob SquarePants and how no. how massive a success it was. Yeah, um, I personally, I mean, look, we all know the characters uh, from the show. We've all, and I, I don't, I really, to this day, when looking back on it, yeah, you, you you kind of touched it on the zany, like wonderful comedy of it, but I still can't really tell you what it is about that show that touched the entire world. It's one of those things that was a national, uh, a na not an international phenomenon. You you know what's my hot take about SpongeBob? I I think SpongeBob is somewhat responsible. I think in a bigger way than most people think for millennials' weird sense of humor. I'm in like the the tail end. Like I'm barely a millennial, but like came out in 1999. So a lot of millennials that's what they grew up with, um, right? So. That show was just weird, and it, it, it the humor was just so hilarious, and it didn't care. Like there's, yeah. it, it broke rules in the funniest ways, and it didn't matter. And when I think about the things that make me laugh, it's very much in line with that early that early SpongeBob. Um, so honestly, I think it had a much bigger impact than I think a lot of people might give it credit for. I think it is responsible for a lot of those weird ass memes you see today on the internet. I instantly thought of memes because SpongeBob and memes seem to go together a lot more than anything else. Really? 
Um, and it's one of those things that continuously is, um, is brought up. I, I do have to ask you, though, what comes to mind as far as some of the, of the humor or jokes or scenarios among the early years of the show that you can remember that, uh, that you loved or really like were some of your favorite moments on the series? Um, and again, because I, I like so, not all the time, but a lot of the times I like the, the darker stuff. Um, when he, w- when he went to rock bottom, uh, <laughs> <laughs> of course, <laughs> like that shit was just weird. <laughs> it was scary weird though. Yeah. Like, Oh shit. It, it almost captured the way, like, like a, like if a child gets lost at like, um, at a, the grocery store, at the grocery store or something like that sort of feeling like that alien feeling, um, stuff like that. There's a lot of great early episodes. I always loved the pizza one. Like t- like talking about the weird humor, like just riding rocks, like the pioneers used to ride these babies for miles. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I mean, there's just so many moments like I mean, one one of like the the most memorable moments is where they had an entire episode that ended with SpongeBob and Squidward performing at the Super Bowl. Oh, that one's everyone's favorite, right? Um, and I, I think of the time Squidward found a time machine. Oh yeah, that's a favorite of yours. That's a favorite of ours because of an infamous moment that you can go back onto um, for the Suicide Squad review years and years ago, which I think you hate uh, for a multitude of reasons. Uh, that moment that happened. Uh, a, a favorite of Kyle's is uh, the commercial episode. Is that what it is, or the 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 Krusty Krab commercial episode? Oh, that one. Yeah, that one's a good one. There's so many. I mean, there's really a lot to choose from, and also, I mean, the dynamic of the characters is also just, I think, oh, uh, <laughs> the one where they spent the entire last episode just calling Texas stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're trying to they're trying to be nice to Sandy Cheeks. But still, um, and the characters are just weird, like a squirrel in in a in a diving suit, and then of course you got the crab, a sponge. Bikini Bottom is like a real place in real life, and it was an atomic bomb like testing site. So again, you know how people have their weird cartoon fan theories. They're of like, course, that's why. They're, they they're are alive. the way, yeah. Um, but no, stop trying to inject reality into this. It's weird. There's an entire episode in which SpongeBob doesn't know how to swim. He lives under the sea. There are so many episodes where they have a campfire. <laughs> yeah. And then the, there's, there's even a moment where Patrick points out, hey, if we're underwater, how can... The, and then the fire goes oh, out. Oh, when they <laughs> stole the balloon. Oh, yes, yes. That one gets brought up in cases uh, uh, because of recent excursions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think to uh, all of those moments uh, between SpongeBob and Squidward. Oh, yeah. Uh, those are the best. Those are always some of the best ever. I think where Squidward kept running back to the Krusty Krabs because of something he kept hearing about SpongeBob and Patrick. I don't recall what happened. He would keep running back because I think he left SpongeBob in charge. Ah, and he kept hearing them. 
Yeah. It was something like that. I don't remember. There was so many. So freaking many. When when, when uh, Squidward loves Krabby Patties, and then he blows up. It goes to your thighs, and then you blow up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I might use that for the title. Oh, yeah, Plankton. Uh, uh, one of the moments that, st- that stood out. I remember watching this episode for the first time, and I'm like, what is happening? Like, for real, like, what is happening? Uh, but it was funny. Um, that episode where... Um, Plankton wins SpongeBob. Oh yeah, and he has he has to go work at the Chum Bucket. Mm-hmm. He lost him in a car bet. And then of course there is this musical segment, um, because of course that would happen. Uh, this kitchen's not the same without you. Uh, one of those wonderful moments that just uh, I mean off the top of my head, there's the uh, the episode like Nose for Atu. Oh, Capes. the hash slinging, the slash. The hash dinging, slash, or whatever it is. When they worked at night. Yes. There's is, just too many. There's so many. I mean, honestly, those first three seasons, virtually every episode, you can make the case. Like, we can probably talk, we, can, we could sit and have an entire podcast going over those first three seasons. Because I think that's just how amazing that they were and how they really did shape uh, this generation. In so many ways. And, of course, there's the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. Uh, and uh, Sponge Out of Water, which, you know, is not talked about enough because, you know, Steven Hillenburg did come back and, and uh, work on that film. And I think in a lot of ways, at least for me, that's, like, my personal, like, series finale for the episode. And my personal, like, goodbye to it. The, um, the SpongeBob I, SquarePants movie? Yeah. That yeah. the, no, the sponge out of water. Oh, the sponge out of water. Eh, yeah, that's like a. I think that's more like an epilogue. I wouldn't. I I think the SpongeBob SquarePants movie is a more fitting ending. That being said, though, if we were to get one final thing out of SpongeBob, I was more than content with uh, Out of Water. Yeah, no, I like the film. I consider that my personal like. You know how we keep saying our goodbyes to whatever franchises that will be ending in 2019. I consider Out of Water be like the last. Um, the last installment for me, but um, yeah, it's 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 interesting how we haven't talked about this before at all on this show. But uh, needless to say, it left the legacy, mm-hmm. uh, and it will continue to because it's still airing. I mean, there's that it's right. It's still there's, going, it, yeah. It's still um, and if it hasn't ended by now, I think it might just be like the well, Simpsons, right? That just keeps going. What's funny is because like a, a lot of all those. Um, famous cartoons from that era spongebob is the only one that had still has the longevity in them that it like it's it's still going it's still popular i can still go down to walmart and see a spongebob t-shirt um if you think of the other ones that were like popular at the time like cat dog the wild thornberries um they've been dead for decades even rugrats yeah and rugrats was like neck and neck I think with SpongeBob at the time. Now, like you don't you don't see Rugrats shit anywhere. Um, well, since Rugrats last did last a long time in its own right. It did, but not but as not long as, as where SpongeBob is. No, SpongeBob never never went down. Went away. No, it, it never went away. So at this point, I don't really see it going away. <laughs> but those those later seasons, and the, and I'm talking about like from our perspective, from like seasons four, five, six, and seven, they were never what they were. Um, I don't know when you stopped watching it. Um, 
I would say like the episodes after the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. Mm. That's when I noticed like this isn't quite the same. It wasn't really. bad, but it wasn't the same. Yeah. Like those those early ones just have classic episodes. <laughs> um Sp- I think SpongeBob at, at its best represented just the fun childlike humor. <laughs> Yeah. And zaniness of, you know, like being a kid. I think we've about exhausted about, there is to say about all this issue. So uh, we're sad about what happened with Mr. Lindbergh, but we're happy that his creation uh, has the longevity that most things can only dream of. So we're glad for that. Our next thing we're going to get into is uh, Marvel and Netflix and Daredevil. The news just broke uh, late today that uh, after its third season, which debuted about less than a month ago today, uh, will not be continuing on for a fourth season. This comes off uh, months, really, at this point of uh, other altercations like Luke Cage and Iron Fist being canceled and speculation about what Marvel Netflix will be looking into. on our own network, we've done several episodes uh, with the one, wonderful David Francisco about um, uh, what this means and uh, the history of Marvel Netflix. And I know, speaking on behalf of uh, most of us, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, this cancellation I think signifies, I think a lot really. But this was the original. This was the one and only where things all began. The thing that I'm most pissed of pissed off about hearing the about the news dropping just like an hour ago is that it couldn't have dropped just like a couple hours later, so I wouldn't have to talk about it because I don't care. I get why people do care, and I don't mean to like seem. Like I think this heartless or that the show's bad. It's a great show and everyone has praised the hell out of season three. I still need to watch it and I absolutely will watch it. Um, The reason why I'm so flippant towards it, it's because I, this was coming. This was, this was coming for months now. Hell you could say I didn't necessarily think it at the time, but I knew it was a pretty good chance the second that the Disney streaming service was announced, this would be over. And so to me, it just feels like they're pulling off a Band-Aid very, very... They've been pulling off a Band-Aid very, very slowly over the last few months. And at this point, I'm just kind of annoyed. Like, just pull the, <laughs> pull the Band-Aid so we can move on. Does that seem heartless or what? I, I'm not sure. I think you'd rather them just pull the plug instead of having to, like... Well, technically, it's, yeah, it is more of pulling the plug. Because there's no chance of live support. We know this. I mean, do you think they would move Daredevil over to the Disney streaming service? I mean, I'll get to that in a bit. I just want to uh, go back. I think I'm going to go back and listen to when we did that episode. I believe it was the spoils of more nonsense when we first talked about the fact that Disney Plus, then known as the Disney streaming service, was announced. And if I'm not mistaken, Peter, that did come before the announcement of Disney's intentions to purchase 21st Century Fox. The the streaming service came first. Because remember, afterwards, they announced they're going to buy Fox. And I was like, shit. This is going to go on their streaming service. Um, 
so yeah, the announcement of Disney Plus came first. Your feelings toward Marvel and Netflix since that announcement as you're operating as if they were already dead. Disney, it's if they got to pull a plug, they're like, move out of the way. We got 50 other properties, 50 other plugs we can use this socket for. So if you're not giving me max power, juice, whatever, whatever. And again, as a Disney fan, <laughs> as a Disney fan, I am one of those. I know this. I'm used to this. So it's like, okay. You're used to the abuse. Yes. Yes. <laughs> You're used to it. Well, I mean, uh, a lot of people are... I, I, I tend to agree that there is, I think, a motivation and a desire by Disney to not have these shows existing, especially if they have the Marvel brand and considering how well-known they are going off against their main competitor in the streaming wars, right? I think it only makes all the sense in the world why Disney would not want those to continue. And yet I also get the impression that it's not just Disney that doesn't want those shows anymore. I don't think Netflix cares about them anymore. I think they've been trying to say it for months, and considering we're all of the third-party data that we've been getting as far as how all of the Netflix seasons post Iron Fist and post Defender Series 1 from 2017 have been on a increasingly downward slope. I mean, I've seen the numbers. I've seen those graphs as far as online conversations and social media tracking. They have fallen off a cliff. And if that is any indication of the actual ratings those shows got on the Netflix site, I don't I, – I would say that Netflix themselves are equally um, unimpressed by the performance of those shows to the point where they would not want to continue them on any further. Yeah. And in, in part, I would say why the interest was down dramatically is because the quality of the seasons have been getting more and more deficient. It has everything to do with the quality. It, it really does. Um, poor Daredevil season three. That's the one that got the, I mean, really. It, it, and this is the show we're talking about that got canceled when it got the brunt out of of, of uh, how many, like you have Defenders, Iron Fist 1, Iron Fist 2, Luke Cage 2, Jessica Jones, Punisher. Six shows in a row that probably got less, except for Punisher, but really five seasons worth of less than stellar storytelling really killed the show. Yeah. So by the time it came to season three, no one gave a shit anymore. And then those that did were like, oh my gosh, it's great. You know, it, a, yeah. a lot of people checked out of Marvel Netflix because of that. And on, I feel bad because if it had only been Daredevil, it would, it would probably still be getting the biggest buzz. If this season came out the year after season two and there was nothing else yeah. in the way. Mm-hmm. I, you would have people demanding that he come, that he makes an appearance in the films, like demanding it. Um, Again, that's another thing where it's just like it is what it like. I want to feel bad, but it's like this is Marvel's fault. Yes, that's what I was going to ask you. Is like who who deserves the burnt of the blame for all Marvel? One hundred percent. And why do you think that is? Because they did those who, who they do not understand know quality quality television, and by quality I mean just putting any kind of money behind it, just any. Like like the budgets that you're seeing for these new uh, Star Wars and Loki f- right. shows and all that. That's the kind of budgets that Luke Cage and Daredevil, probably not Jessica Jones, but definitely Iron Fist. Those are the budgets that the show should have gotten. Right. I mean, last time I 
forgive me if this figure is a bit off, but I, I do remember reading that that in the Marvel Netflix season can cost anywhere between ten to thirteen million dollars. That that can't be right. But if it is, that's not at all the budget of uh, what the Star Wars show is going to be having, which is just ten million an episode. An episode, yeah. An episode, not a season. So it's funny when you say that because I mean, I. And of course, there are other um, other things that other revelations that have happened about this. How, um, in regards to the cancellations of of uh, what's it called, uh, Luke Cage? One primary aspect is I don't think, um, based on some reports, that they, they were not interested in ordering thirteen episodes exactly. And according to some sources from Fantastic Geek podcast, if Marvel Entertainment does not get a thirteen episode order. They don't get paid as much. It's part of a licensing fee or something. Yep. That's why they do it. And that's kind of the reason why they kind of went bad. Because I don't... I mean, off the top of your head, of all of the seasons of these shows that you've seen, which seasons deserved or warranted 13 episodes? None of them. Not even Daredevil? Season one maybe came the closest. But after that, no. For me, it's like this is just what happens after uh, the. I mean, how mishandled these shows have been, really. Uh, and it's. It, I think it's just it, it's interesting because of how many factors are going into all of this, with all of these things that are happening. And I wonder. I mean, because I personally do not subscribe to the view that Disney wants these shows on their net, on their Disflix or whatever. People want to keep putting that up, and there's. Other speculation that these characters will continue. In the press release, uh, Netflix made mention of the fact that Daredevil will live on in other projects. But, I mean, that's just that's just something you say when you kill off a show. I don't think that's something that, that's going to be actually, I don't know, addressed or brought up with. I mean, do you, Mr. Martinez, see at all an interest by Disney to have it on their platform or a way that could be on their platform? No. They've moved on to other things. And it looks like you have as well. Yeah. I like I'm I if if something isn't quality, either television show or film, I, I just I'm not angry, but I'm just like, okay. Like there's so many other great shows and great films that I feel like I couldn't like even Venom, get around apparently. to seeing them in a lifetime. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Um, I can't just like waste my time on something that I don't like, you know, I'm not going to be angry about it. Like, you know, that's life. It's in her, that's, that's the biz, but I'm also not going to waste my time. Speaking of a waste of time, Venom, it wasted everyone's yes. time multiple times. Did it though? Yes it? It oh. yes, it did. <laughs> yes, it did. Yes, it did. Tell me why. Because it made all the money. The last time I mentioned Venom, uh, we didn't even get into it, but like it had, it had just crossed over $700 million worldwide, which at that point was insane. It has now crossed over $800 million, $822 million to be exact, and... Um, it just now uh, surpassed Wonder Woman as far as superhero films are concerned and how much they made worldwide. And um, 
Oh my god. Um, there is a risk here that Venom might catch and surpass Spider-Man Homecoming <laughs> at the worldwide box office. That... <laughs> <laughs> A Venom movie without Spider-Man might catch Spider-Man Homecoming. Spider-Man in the MCU, which people had been begging for for years. This this Venom thing, I really think, was like a perfect storm. Because it was just mediocre enough and just stupid enough that everyone in the world would love it. And it had the right property, Venom. For some damn reason, I still cannot get it. People really love Venom. I don't get it. Like, yeah, he's okay. He's a fun character sometimes. I I don't get this massive love for it. Um, I think it's a joke. I don't, like, people would make fun of, like, the Transformers films and be like, oh, it's stupid that everyone sees them. But for some reason, Venom gets like a pass on this. I don't know. Again, this is something else I just do not give a shit to talk about because it's like, well, yeah, this is this is this is the world today. This is the shit that makes money. I want to list off all of the other superhero films that Venom has now made more money than at the worldwide box office. So, real quick, here we are starting with Wonder Woman, Spider-Man 1, Spider-Man 2, Deadpool, Guardians of the Galaxy, The Amazing Spider-Man, X-Men Days of Future Past. For that matter, all of the X-Men films, Deadpool 2, Suicide Squad, Captain America the Winter Soldier, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, Doctor Strange, Man of Steel, Justice League, Thor The Dark World, The Incredibles... Iron Man 2, Logan, of course I mentioned all the X-Men movies, half of the MCU films, and you kind of get the idea. (laughs) And right now, it is in the hunt to catch the following. Thor Ragnarok, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Batman v Superman, Spider-Man Homecoming, and Spider-Man 3. All of which are in the $800 million worldwide vicinity. And a lot of why Venom has been this successful is because apparently Venom has uh, been one of the most successful films ever, certainly by a superhero uh, standpoint, in China. In the China box office. (sighs) I feel bad talking about China because I feel like I'm always like... I'm tough on China, but it's like, I don't understand their taste in film Mm. because like, again, there's certain blockbusters, like the Transformers films I could get because who doesn't like giant robot fighting monsters. And I also understand why the big blockbusters do very well in foreign countries. Be- Unless you're Star Wars. Well, I was going to get to that. I'm always there. Yeah. Okay. Um, I understand why the big budget films do very well in foreign countries because 
big budget films require less nuance. So you're, it's easier to break that um, language barrier, language barrier, and also cultural barrier. You know. Uh, so that's one reason. But then it's like the films that they do like. Like Venom. What is it about Venom? Like, I don't... And then again, like like Star Wars. They couldn't give a shit about Star Wars. And I get it that... Because a lot of people say, oh, you know, Chinese never grew up with Star Wars. Did they grow up with Venom? They, like, they... I, I feel like the Marvel characters were a fairly new... Um thing thing yeah and they really they really loved them they latched onto the marvel characters and i get it you know because i like them too but with star wars it's just like dumb and it's like okay what makes this dumb but this not why is it like venom just skyrockets like crazy but other other superhero films don't and again maybe it's just a cultural barrier thing like i I gotta live a few years in china to understand completely because i live here and i understand okay people love venom i don't know why they love venom but i know they love venom and i i guess i kind of get it like it's it's dark spider man and he's all big and meanie he's a big old meanie and he has teeth and eats people Okay, like I, but like eight hundred million, I. Because <laughs> what 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 are the other the other franchises that China saved? There's several. Well, there's uh there's the uh, World of Warcraft movie. Okay, that, that one I can kind of get. Okay, uh, well, I mean Transformers for years. I mean at that, I mean the domestic box office for Transformers wasn't all that big, but it always was in China. Mm-hmm. Um, Pirates of the Caribbean is a big franchise in China. Yeah, uh, even to the last one. I yeah, mean, like made... that's another one. Like they didn't grow up with the Pirates of the Caribbean, right? Yeah, and it's it, like and the movies are not even about the ride. Yeah, but that one was just so big. And yeah, but then they look at stars, and it's like, well, that's dumb. And it's like, but this is. <laughs> It's just so weird to me. I don't know. Because I know a lot of people say it's because, like, again, you know, China has no reverence for those original films. But there's a lot of other blockbusters that they don't have reverence for the source material. But it's 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 a big, awesome blockbuster and they still love it. And then there's just other films where it's just like like Venom, where it's like. Okay, but why this one specifically? Because to me, it looks like any other superhero film from the 90s. And there's much better ones like Infinity War or even Spider-Man Homecoming. Which, by the way, both did very well in China. They did well, but did they do Venom numbers? My interpretation of this is that this is just a very bad look for audiences around the world. It's just a bad look because... By all metrics, and considering the review that our own David Francisco had uh, for Venom, who I, I would say, and it's fair to say, the least strict reviewer on our entire podcast, um, well, among the least. 
I think Barreno's less strict. That's what I'm, yeah, among the least. Uh, it sounds like a shit show of a movie. And yet people just love this crazy, like, accidental assemblance. I mean, like I told you, it feels like Sony threw an accidental fart that everybody loved. Yeah, but that's why it's hard for me to get mad because one, before it came out, you could see the perfect storm forming. And two, this happens sometimes. It really does. Where it's like, it's not the greatest film, but just the stars align perfectly. And it makes all kinds of money. Like Venom 2... I actually don't think we'll do that well. You sure about that? <laughs> yeah, you know what? Never mind. I'm going to take that back. <laughs> I mean, this movie has... It's it's literally the Titanic. Oh, wait, no, no maybe that's not the right... Well, The I Titanic 2. <laughs> Titanic 2. The one that didn't um, sink. This one just kind of had, like, lightning in the bottle. And, mm-hmm. um... I, I, it's like, I would have thought that this would have, that the bad reviews would have caught on and made a difference. No, 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 no. Bad this reviews. Was, this was a bad movie. It, it, but it's inoffensive. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. A bad, it's just so just, it exists and that's enough for people. People can walk out saying, hey, I didn't get mad. So it was a good movie. There were no SJWs. There was no SJWs. Apparently, and this is the weird thing, um, people are crediting to the um, the Sony marketing campaign uh, sold Venom as a romantic comedy in China. Really? Yeah. Do you think that has something to do with it? It is really interesting um, when you you hear stories about how the the companies sell films differently in each country just based on the culture of that country i'm gonna read i'm gonna read this because this is interesting okay, i have wait, this here from this. polygon you're gonna read this so <clears throat> uh how it was sold uh sexy venom sells tickets venom was originally a character created to help sell toys but later became uh you know a twisted violent take on spider-man himself uh, but Venom's starring vehicle seemed to re- repopularize, repopularize the idea that Alien Symbiote and Eddie Brock were actually in a cute romantic relationship. Fans thought Venom was sexy, and the movie didn't mind being sexy in return. Much of this fan reaction and conversation bubbled up from the deeper depths of the online world, however, so mainstream moviegoers may not have been aware of how horny the world had become for Venom. This is the, the, the article I'm reading, by the way. Okay. The, the Venom is a sexy boyfriend idea didn't stop in the U.S., however, nor did it peak here. Sony itself marketed the movie as a romantic romp to Chinese audiences, and Venom went on to become a huge hit in the Chinese market. The, the movie has now brought in over $822 million worldwide, that makes it a huge success for Sony, which is quite the achievement since Venom is one of the strangest superhero films of the modern era. Uh, the real lessons here are that Sony potentially missed out on piles of domestic box office cash 
because it didn't lean into the monster boyfriend angle hard enough in the U.S., and that a and that a powerful Chinese box office, no matter the reason, can turn a movie into a box office monster. Which is how we got here. An official American trailer playing up the fact that Venom just wants to be your sweet, thoughtful boyfriend. The film, the film itself doesn't support this reading of the character, but box office returns of the size don't lie. People love it. The idea that an alien monster might actually be a sexy, lovable scamp. Okay, I, I take my criticisms of the the Chinese film viewing audience back because that sounds like a film I would absolutely watch. <laughs> that sounds interesting. That's it's worth a viewing at least. Uh, no, they did the right thing. They did the right thing. I take it back. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm dead serious. I would watch that film. But that's not the film that ended up being. No. We heard. Uh, no. If, if I could have, if I lived in China and, and I knew they were giving out, like, posters at the movie theater with portraying that film that you just described, I would go for that alone. Like, you know how they have, like, badly photoshopped foreign posters? Yeah. But they do it to make it look like more of a romantic comedy. Like, it's a Venom poster, but more of a romantic comedy. Yeah. I'd go see the film for that alone. I think this is not necessarily Venom, but in general. The way the humor is able to translate all over the world, I think. I find that interesting. Do you think that has something to do specifically with the way blockbuster jokes are written today? Or like the there's a, as far as this movie itself is concerned or Venom blockbusters, but also like the Marvel movies and stuff like that. Cause I've seen like on YouTube fan reactions to like Avengers and different other films. And they're clearly in uh, foreign countries and the jokes land hard. And, like, the big moments land hard. Like, the, the theaters are going wild and stuff like that. And, um, like, I, I see a lot of foreign films. And there is, um, a lot of the humor does work on me. Because, you know, I think a lo- there's certain jokes that are universal. And mm-hmm. uh, humor and stuff like that. But I also think there's a lot of like pop culture references and films that are like, I don't know, maybe I'm misremembering. I feel like they have to do specifically with like history here in the U.S. Or maybe that's just me. Because like, remember with um, Winter Soldier, when he has the little book, they did that thing with Winter Soldier where depending on what country you're in, he had written different things. Um, yeah. So I'm, I I don't know. I wonder how much they change that when it comes to like different countries or it's just like humor really is that universal that it's just like, no, everyone. That's an interesting uh, theory. Maybe somebody should go look into that. It's difficult to like test it with other films so much because other films don't really, other countries don't really do, I think, blockbusters. 
Not at the same level as like that we do. Uh, we do. They try because I hear like you always hear every year like this is right. Uh, China's biggest film they've made, but it, it it seems like whenever I hear that, like different countries like try to make giant blockbusters. It seems like they they don't make their money back. Every like they're always flops. And that's weird. That's an interesting me. thing. I mean, that, that doesn't. I think that's not really typical of the U.S. I mean, just to. I mean, maybe we can take these movies that I'm about to list off and maybe compare how they could have done worldwide. Um, in the U.S., I mean, around the same time that Venom came out, uh, as far as uh, that were wide appeal successful films, you had A Star Is Born, mm-hmm. you had Halloween, you had Bohemian Rhapsody, The Grinch. Ralph Breaks the Internet, Creed 2. I'm sure I'm probably missing one in there somewhere, but all those films can be considered to be wildly successful films in the States. And I imagine some of those worldwide as well. Yeah. Although I don't know how they would translate. I think all I of those how translate really well. Okay, and why do you think that is? Because Bohemian Rhapsody is like their music's everywhere. Grinch, I think, is everywhere. And if it's not, it's a cute little Christmas Even though it's stuff. an American invention. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think American culture is very dominant. Maybe, right. maybe that's what it is. Because of our mm. blockbuster films, that they've been dominant for, like, ever. And they've always had, like, our culture naturally within them that they... It's a dominating presence. yeah. I don't know. I don't know why I'm talking about this. I'm just talking about weird shit. I mean, no, I mean, you were just trying to look for what's actually interesting to you, and I think that in and of itself is an interesting thing to explore. I mean, I think uh, uh, the size and the influence of one country can overshadow other cultures. I know that I was told personally uh, on the side I do some reporting, and I was uh, I was at this uh, Latino event here in D.C., and uh, one Hondur- Honduran man told me that uh, Mexico. I mean, he was married to a Colombian woman, and both of them said that they all know Mexican culture because of how dominating it is in the Hispanic world. Oh. Which is something else interesting to point out, how that may be a reality for them. Yeah. And I think I think so, that's the same thing that's going on with American culture. Hmm. Because I, I was just thinking about that, because I, I always find it fascinating when I do see foreign films, and there's just like little maybe references or like offhanded comments. And I know it's in reference to something, Mm -hmm. but I have no fucking clue what it is, you know? Uh, Right. Right. I mean, me, me me too. I mean, I watch a lot of British television now. Thanks to Kyle. Yes. And there's some some of the things stuff and it's just like that. I just don't get mm -hmm. what they're talking about. Now, when I'm rewatching certain things, Oh, I understand what you mean now, but there are little quirks and sayings that just go over your head Mm -hmm. because you don't, you're not familiar with how things work over there. I will say to the the couple that I was speaking to, uh, we were talking about cuisine in general and how uh, Mexican cuisine is the dominating presence as far as all um, Latino uh, Latino food is oh, concerned. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. So every every while they 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 know their own country's uh, particular stamp on it. Every culture in the Hispanic world is well versed in what comes out of Mexico. As far as that's concerned, and the differences of that and other stuff, so 
it's fascinating mm-hmm. and uh, definitely worth uh, talking about more than probably what's coming up next. Oh, so, uh, you know what? It also could be, Peter, um, about how you were saying about why, what it is about blockbuster filmmaking that may have that are more accessible all over the world. Um, our familiar, uh, friendly foe, Disney, the mouse itself, does have a dominating presence over the, the world itself. Yes. Yeah, they do. And in and the kind of films that they make, which are all just pretty much blockbusters. Well, that's another thing. There's you can tell in several films, some more blatant than others, and blockbuster films nowadays, that there is certain pa- uh, pandering to like other. I would want to use a nice nicer term, but it really is pandering, catering. It's pandering. <laughs> I try to give you a nicer word, catering, but if you want to... Well, because the films aren't doing it well. If it was, if it was okay. done well, I would call it catering, but it's because it's just terrible. What, are you, what do you have in mind? What are you referencing? Like, um, like Iron Man 3. They mm. had, I think, several Chinese stars in the film that they're in scenes. They were in scenes exclusively released in China. Oh, like Chinese movie okay, stars. I was about to say, what are you talking about? Yeah, like they were exclusively <laughs> released in China. Like you know how he gets the the surgery on his um, yeah thing at the, the end. Stark reactor. There's like a whole scene with the doctor, and the doctor is actually a Chinese actor, and like they, it, it's so weird because it's like they literally filmed the, these scenes after they made the movie. That's the way it looks, and then they just inserted them into the film specifically in that country. And again, that's complete pandering, you know? Which is, I mean, well, a lot of people bring up uh, product placement. Like, yes. If you're watching a Sony movie, you know you're watching a Sony movie because they blast their products all over the screen. And there's some very clear product placement of products. I'm like, I have no idea what that product is. And it's like, because it's not for you. It's for other countries that actually use that product, like certain drinks and maybe food and stuff like that. And again, if I'd much rather that they actually just hired Chinese actors and actresses in prominent roles, you know, instead of like this cookie cutter, make your own movie. Uh, type shenanigans they did with Iron Man 3. I think, I do believe that was one of the reasons why Chow Yun-Fat was hired to be a major star for uh, Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. Was it? I'm not sure if that's the reason why he was there, but I know that he's a huge superstar in China. Yeah. But and he's also he was, awesome. But he, yes, but he's also, he 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 shared top billing because it has starring Johnny Depp, That's Orlando right. Bloom, uh, Kieran Knightley, Jeffrey Rush, and Chow Yun-Fat. And, and in my view, I feel like somebody like Bill Nye, who played Davy Jones, mm-hmm. was a more prominent character in that film than uh, Chow Yun-Fat's character. I will say, I actually really like, like that's something I'd rather they do because I thought Chow Yun-Fat yeah. was great in uh, Pirates, Pirates 3. 3? That's a, that's a, Big time guilty pleasure film of mine, and I think I love that yeah, film. years. It's not even yeah. good. You have zero guilt yeah. over it. No, not at all. I love it. I love it. Um, but he. We have a whole audio commentary if you want to listen to it. That's by the right. Way, on the channel yeah, somewhere. we do. I I completely rebuild the film 
uh, from the ground and, up. In a way that I agree would make it better. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. But I'd rather they do that, like Chow Yun-Fat. But also, it is very sneaky, like Chow Yun-Fat, like a big, because he's like the eighth most important character in the film, maybe. Mm-hmm. But he at least has a prominent role. Yes. That matters to. It's not a cameo. Yeah, it's definitely not a cameo that they just filmed in an afternoon and then tried to squeeze into the film somewhere. Um, So, yeah, I'd rather they do that because there are like actors and actresses from China and then other. It's mostly China. And Rogue One was a big deal for them. Yeah. And Donnie Yen's amazing. He's awesome. Yeah. I think that's why Rogue One did so good. I think Rogue One was. The Chinese audience's favorite Star Wars. What about also uh, Baze? Uh, I don't remember the actor that played Baze, which was the, the, the character that was the best friend with uh, Donnie Yen's character. Is he a Chinese star too? The actor that played uh, Baze Malbius is Jiang Wen, and he is from China. Oh, he is Chinese. Oh, okay. Yes. Never mind. You were right. I was wrong. Both of them were, are considered to be superstars in China, Donnie Yen and Jiang Wen. Okay. So well, you see, yeah, they were great. They're my favorite part of Rogue One. <laughs> <laughs> see, well, are you saying, Peter, that you're are you're getting your stamp of approval for a uh, a uh, Bayes and uh, Chewit Emray uh, miniseries on Disney Plus? You know what? I would actually like that more than than Cassian than Andor. Cassian Andor, because because you know why? Because it could. They're be, interesting, though. It yeah. would be like I would be interested to just see them like roam. Like they seem like the kind that like would roam from town to town, and like, Aren't, weren't they guardian to the wills or whatever? They yeah, are, those things yeah. Are? So they probably that would be something doing interesting that. to explore. Ooh, you could do like a eight episode show, but it's really like a movie about the fall of whatever of Jeddah City. Yeah, you could do something like that, or the temple because we didn't. We actually never saw the temple inside mm-hmm. the city. But also, they were, they, they were interesting enough characters, but you really didn't get anything from them that much. Right, yeah, they were kind of just there. Yeah. To... You could see, like, what's his name? Uh, not Shurit. Baze. Baze. Or Baze. He, like, they said, like, oh, he used to be one of the biggest believers in the Force. And then he had, like, a crisis of faith. Like, that could be, you could see him have that crisis of faith. With Ch- and Churit, you could see their like friendship blossom. Maybe he goes blind in the process of saving Baze's life. You know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It would, it would. Again, it's absolutely something that is unnecessary. But it would make more sense would make than more a lot sense of other stuff than, that seemed green greenlit. Yeah, yeah, and stuff that would actually be interesting to you more so than. Other stuff that's happening. And that's another thing. Like, if you're trying to get uh, the Chinese audience, boom, right there. You got two superstars right there. Yeah. Superstars. Is Disney Plus going to release there? I would hope. I mean, you think they would hope anyway? Yeah. I, 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 I'm I hope not so. I'm sure. But I mean, like, what we mentioned, though, is Disney is a worldwide entity now. Yeah. It's, yeah. They will own us all if they don't already. If they haven't already. Um, speaking of which, 
Uh, just wanted to add in some more context uh, about that and other things that people would be aware of to what uh, the narrative or kind of the, the topic that we're discussing. But we had Thanksgiving, um, and I will say it was a pleasant Thanksgiving until something dropped. Um, <laughs> Disney decided uh, to drop the uh, the trailer for the upcoming Lion King live action, quote unquote, adaptation that will be released in the summer of 2019. And holy hell, did it, did it really, yeah, okay. I would, I would, uh, I've been doing this a lot lately, but I'm going to do it again because it is absolutely necessary. Um, I was so right when it came to this film. When this film was announced, when it was announced, I told you, we already know what this film is going to be. Not only do we know what this film is going to be, but I guarantee you the first trailer is going to be the circle of life scene. Um, and that wasn't the only time you said you've been saying, even ever since uh, our own Alexis Moreno was uh, uh, purviewed enough to uh, be at D23, mm-hmm. where she did get to see this exact same trailer. And even then you were pressing, it's going to be a circle of life. By the way, she did an all, 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 all <laughs> By the way, she she kept her mouth shut yeah, on that. She, she never didn't, once said she didn't reply when I said that. <laughs> she hasn't, and uh, so like, and it's been over a year since she saw that mm-hmm. at D twenty three. Yeah, if you're listening to this, Moreno, and you're not, we see you. We see you. We see you, uh, which is, by the way, uh, also how you correctly, um, eerily enough, predicted the Aladdin trailer uh, the night before it dropped. That, that one was it? eerie for me. Because <laughs> you, you said exactly what was going to happen in that trailer. Because that one was like word for word. <laughs> that one creeped me out. That one made me think I had powers. Um yeah. You still might. I still might. Um, will I use them to cure word hunger? No. I will use them to predict the trailers of Disney live action animated films. I'm doing my part. Um, so, yeah, this there's just nothing to say with the Slime King live action. It is going to be the exact same film with added filler. Because I know a lot of people get offended. You know what? That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to address the people that get mad for people getting mad at these live action films. And I hope you reference Lindsay Ellis and her video. Lindsay Ellis did an amazing. I just saw that video. uh, And her channel, by the way, is an amazing compilation of videos. Yes. Uh, She is the best. And she did an incredible film (laughs) on why the live action Beauty and the Beast is shite. And (laughs) I agree. I was the crazy person coming out of the movie theater going, why, why? While it went on to gross $1.3 billion worldwide. Love that money. Okay. So a big issue. By the way, before I, before you start, I, want, I do want to mention that um, as far as how, you know, th- this trailer, by the way, was crazy big. And I'm reading off deadline here that the Lion King trailer or the teaser is Disney's biggest preview with more than 224 million views, I believe, in 24 hours. This movie is easily going to make a billion dollars. 
It might ah, yeah. it might be hit too. It might hit, hit too. I, yeah, I, I'm thinking that right now because of how big this trailer was and how everybody was talking about it, and how crazy nostalgia we are. I think probably worldwide at this point. By the way, '90s babies, go fuck yourself. I am so tired of hearing that. Every we're '90s babies. Oh, this, this movie's for this us. Movie's Don't bring your children. Us. '90s babies. I'm a '90s babies. I'm a '90s baby as well. Go to hell. <laughs> You're so well, annoying. Not just for saying that, but for, not, not just for saying that, but for wanting this movie in the first yes, place. I would also add on. Like, if you want to see The Lion King, I can guarantee you, I can provide you with a better version of the film that's going to come out right now. Right now. Just, just go, go. Go on whatever streaming, whatever, Amazon. It's not streaming anywhere. You have to buy the movie. Physically. Go on Amazon. <laughs> buy it. Do they sell it on Amazon? They have to. Yeah, the physical media. Okay. I'm not sure. It's a, or maybe a digital version. Go on eBay. Before. Buy the VHS for like 10 bucks. Enjoy. It'll be, it'll, not only will it be like your childhood, it will be literally like your childhood. In every sense of the word, <laughs> It'll, it it might even, as they say, come back to life. Yes. Um. But like a lot of people are like, oh, well, it's clearly going to be different because they're going to change certain things. And the again, another my issue with remakes, especially this kind of remakes. Lion King was near a perfect film. The, the only reason to like change Lion King would be like, okay, shorten this scene by maybe five seconds. Maybe add two seconds to this scene. Like, it is a near perfect film. You can only make a worse film because we already know it's going to be extended. They're going to make it longer. They're going to add in unnecessary scenes. You can only walk away with a lesser product. It doesn't matter if they change things because, again, and I think Lindsay Edlis turned on that like address that perfectly. Yeah. You changed things and made it bigger, but you made it worse and you just completely took away what was so great about the original film and open up a can of worms. Yeah. Another thing I, I really kind of hate how this live action shit kind of looks down on animation. Like it, it. Thank you. I've been saying that for like the last week. And no one's listening to me. Like somehow the films are going to be improved because now they're live action. In just about every single one of these, these made, I'll say it. Every single one, it's much worse, and it's cheapened, and it's lessened, and the magic I feel is mostly sucked out of it because they do not have the beautiful animation and the lively characters, and. Everything that makes the films work is because it is animated. Like the Beauty and the Beast, so many of those set piece and musical numbers work because it is animated. Like mm-hmm. when they did the Be Our Guest thing, it just looked like a like rainbow <laughs> diarrhea of CGI. <laughs> it looked terrible, and it wasn't fun. There wasn't nothing magical about it. It was nothing compared to the animated one that was just so full of life and magic. And the same goes for the beast. The beast just looked like an ugly, half-done animation. There was no life to him. And none of this. I gotta say, getting into the actual imagery of this, like 
the trailer, uh, aside from being disgusted at, at, at its uh, mere existence, I thought, honestly, it looked bad. Like, none of it looked like what it, what it's supposed to look like in the sense that, that this is not The Lion King. This is a cheap knockoff. I don't think I honestly did not. I was not at all impressed by the CG. I thought it looked weird. Like even if it did look good, though, it's like a realistic lion, and all these realistic animals are not going to have the range of emotion that animation has. And maybe, and then if you're going to keep in the musical numbers, that's going to be an issue. That's going to be jarring. Yes, like like. The animation is allows the characters this elasticity to it. I'm sorry, I just mm-hmm. butchered that word. This elasticity is elastic. Oh wow, I said it worse. I'm not gonna try it again. <laughs> Unlike Kyle, that keeps trying and then just keeps killing no, it. I know when to quit. But it allows just this life to them that you can't get from a live action film. You just can't you look at a. Uh, Look at uh, Bagheera in the Jungle Book movies from the live action and the animated one. And look, I mean, how like Bagheera had just like one face the entire time. Yeah. Whereas you look at the animated film, that's why these movies were supposed to be were, were told in animation because that's how they would have worked. The, life, the Lion King could have been a live action movie maybe, but this, this – Like to me – for people that don't get it, just imagine that tomorrow they announce a remake of The Godfather and they're adding... Or Lilo and Stitch, which they already have. Oh, shut up. You shut up. <laughs> they're adding <laughs> a remake of The Godfather and they're adding 30 extra minutes and it's going to be scene for scene. Almost entirely. Your your first answer would be why, why? Like this this isn't who necessary. Asked for this? Who asked for this? Why? Well, a lot of people, I guess, asked for the Lion King. But like, the entire time I saw that Lion King trailer, all I could think is like, look at how much money could have been used for an actual film, because it, it it's like. <sighs> I'll say this. Maybe uh, Black Panther could use a bit of that money. Yes. <laughs> That's the real Lion King remake. Um, yeah. Like, I I saw a tweet, and I think Lindsay Ellis was the one that retweeted this. And she has a point, And it's like, the ones that came up with all the imagination... And all the heart, all the characters, the writing, the storytelling, the shots, the storyboarding, you know, how a scene is going to be framed, you know, when a music cue is going to hit. All the people that actually did all the creative hard work were in the original Lion King film. And now they don't get to see a dime of that money in this film, even though they did all the work. And the people that worked on this film, like, no offense to them at all, because, again, they're just doing what Disney tells them to. The John Favreau? Literally, all they do is look like they, they have a, a, a video screen set up, and then they're just playing The Lion King. And they're like, okay, this is the way they frame the shot here. This is where they had the characters here. This is where the musical 
Hugh came in here. Yeah, I have I have the, I have the tweet right here that she retweeted uh, from Adrian Von Barr. One thing that's bad about this creatively redundant live action, quote unquote, it's not remake of which we should touch on, by the way, mm-hmm. is that the U.S. Animation Guild is set up in a way that allows Disney to use all the work of the original writers, designers, storyboard artists, etc., without paying them a single cent. And by the way, can I just say a lot of these people that are retweeting this uh, this clip of the trailer in the original opening of the film, I feel I, that really kind of aggravates me because they're pointing out why I feel this is terrible. Mm-hmm. And that they're they're showing it as like, look how good it is. Look how faithful it is. Isn't this amazing? And I feel like I want to die. And it's like... Thanks, I hate it, as she says. Thanks, I hate it. Yeah. (laughs) The very thing that's making you jump for joy is the very thing that's making me just like want to bang my head into a wall. Like, that's the way it feels. (laughs) I want to drive into a wall. That's how I feel. And it's just like, I... How do you get these people taught? The only person that we know that is like this is like Moreno. And Moreno's mm-hmm. great. We we all love Moreno. And um and her thing is like, yeah, I like it. And I and I get so it's I get her point of view, and I get a, a lot of people's point of view. I, I wrote a lengthy statement as to why I hate it, and all she had to respond was, I love it. I know, and I, and I honestly <laughs> I loved Moreno's response because I was like, "Yeah, like that's her thing. Like it's it's yeah, I get it, but I still like it." And yeah, what angers me is just how beyond creatively bankrupt it is. I think how blatant it is. It was just a, a literally copy and paste. Like it's just as a film, it's just useless. Like in my eyes, it's like. It's more useless to me than a than a bad film or a terrible film because it's at least that film is something like this is just a a poor mirror. It's like a shadow. It's literally just a, a shadow of a great film. You know, life's short. Be happy. Do what you love. But from my perspective, I just. I just hate everything about these things, these live action Disney remakes. And again, that's why I, I would always sabotage uh, Kyle's attempts at his rebake remedies because I hated. Oh, just is this your open admission? You openly I've attempt admitted, to sabotage. I've admitted it every time. I said every time you do this, I'm going to sabotage it. But I would. But I wouldn't just. I would be creative in my sabotage. I would uh, I would attack it in new and interesting ways that reflected the filmmaking uh, bullshit at the time. Yeah, well, some some of us ran with it in a different direction and it just blew everything up. Do you um, mean you? <laughs> I I I, may, I mean something. Um, I can say that two out of three of them probably are on the feed somewhere. The remake remedies. Oh, which, okay. We stopped at the last one because I think you just, I think Kyle had, had enough. Yeah, he had enough. <laughs> um, and other things happened along the way. Also, there was no point because everything good. was going to be remade anyway. So it's like. Including now Lilo and Stitch. Mm-hmm. That one hurts. That one hurts a little. And I mean, it's like we we have three of them coming out next year. It's not just Lion King; it's Aladdin and Dumbo. I completely forgot about Dumbo. 
There was a trailer. A trailer, <laughs> a trailer came out. Like two trailers came out. Right. Yeah. I completely forgot. Yeah, that's gonna be a film. It, it already is. Technically speaking, Dumbo's already a film. Yeah, but this is gonna be the shadow of that film. The and again, it looks like film. it's doing the same thing. It's it's shot for shot. All the stuff that people loved from the original my childhood. And then they're adding in stuff just to justify um just to justify its existence. And what's funny is a lot of the the people that love these kind of films, the stuff that they dislike is the new stuff that they add to justify its existence. So it's kind of like they admit that it was better as the original than just enjoy the original. (laughs) This this is exactly why Disney is doing these films, because it works. Mm -hmm. It absolutely works. And I think the general audience that we have in this day and age welcomes films uh, and remakes like Lion King and the continuing uh, existence of sequels and franchise and reboots because that's what they want to see. That's all they want to see. Um, I will say, I think this live action stuff, it very much is a trend and I cannot wait to see, to see the trend die. Let's, let's do what nineties babies can't do and move on. <laughs> let's yeah. Let's, let's move on with our lives. Uh, because, you know, people seemingly can't do that. So Black Friday happened, obviously, last week. And uh, Peter and I did our usual ritual of going out to some stores, namely Best Buy, to go look at some deals. And um, you had brought up with me about how, how taken you were with uh, the real deals they had uh, at Best Buy for Blu-rays. For those of – for, like, all two of you out there that actually buy physical media these days. Yeah. Uh, if you're out there, please buy physical media because yes. it's it's great. It's great. And, you know, you never know with um, with streaming services. You never know what's going to happen. So buy it. If you love a film, if you love a film, I'd recommend buying the physical media. Um, what I really liked with Best Buy is they had those racks. They had the, the like, the $5.99, $7.99, $10.99, $14.99. And they had some some good films. They had like they had mainstream films. Mainstream films. They had like Infinity War for like seven ninety nine. I saw Phantom Thread for five ninety nine. I was very close to buying it, but I was like, I gotta save money. <laughs> yes, that's right. I don't have five ninety nine to spare. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, we're gonna be seeing like hundred movies in December. Yeah, that's true. And that's going to be fun because I'm actually, you know what? You know what's so great about December? I'm actually looking forward to all the films that we're going to see. That's fun. I am too. It's for a change, that's right? Sound, that <laughs> sounded really sarcastic when you said it. No, it, it's the truth because like, mm-hmm. I, honestly, May, April or May were the only other months that were, I was excited for, uh, for movies that were coming mm-hmm. out. And even then there were some that I... Because uh, I'm excited for Aquaman. December, I'm excited for... Uh, into the Spider Verse. Into Elmer, yeah. I'm I'm interested in Bumblebee. Mm-hmm. I am um, excited personally, for uh, Mary, Mary Poppins too, but for very different reasons. Different reasons. <laughs> You're excited for a uh, a triggered emotion that may come within someone. Yes. Uh, for seeing Mary Poppins, mm-hmm. I'm excited for the actual film. Yeah. Um, but okay, but, back to yeah. back to Blue. So, I I think I saw. Um, 
what was the other one? A Quiet Place, I think, was on the seven ninety. Yeah, Man on the Wasp was there. And Man on the Wasp, like they had some, and they had some four K ones on there. Like they just re released the Rambo films. That was another one that I almost mm-hmm. got. Uh, First Blood, four K, and they had them. So they had some darn good deals. My my mm-hmm. biggest issue is the ones that were there. I either already own. Don't, I had no interest in owning. Don't have no interest in owning, but I know a lot of people do have interest. In, like Ant-Man and the Wasp. I know people do yeah. would have interest in owning that one. So that's really good for other people. And um, so How yeah. much was it? $7.99? That one, I can't remember which one it was under. But it was, in, it was still in one of those. It was off. And even then, I had no interest in buying it. No. <laughs> yeah. I, I do not care about Ant-Man and the Wasp. At all. No. It's crazy how little I care for that film. Um, yeah. What else? What else? Yeah. And then, like, I'm not, a, I'm not a shopper of, like, anything. Like, I don't care about clothes, really. I don't care about other electronic stuff. This is what this is your shit basically. Yeah, this, this is what this you is, this love is the to shit buy. I like which is um which I think you and I have that honestly it's one of the, one of the things that I think um I think one of the things that we had in common when we first uh, met mm-hmm. because uh, you have your own or at that point you also had your own collection and I I've been a movie collector for. Ever, ever since ever, <laughs> and I'm I'm sure you have as well. And we both love to, uh, to talk to each other about whenever we you know we update the collection or the library, as they say. I mean, personally, for me, uh, while Target doesn't really have as near the amount of deals that Best Buy does, I did purchase two films uh, that I had seen this year and that I did enjoy. That I enjoyed enough to own them. There were uh, um. That had deals. Love Simon, which actually was also uh, at Best Buy, but they had the same, I think, price. Mm-hmm. Uh, Love Simon was on sale for seven ninety nine for both of those uh, those stores. Although the one that I got from Target had like an exclusive booklet. You know how they usually do that. Yeah. Uh, so I, I got it there, and then also Game Night, which is I think one of the funniest movies of the year for me, was there for six dollars. Like, how do you walk away from that? It's like, I liked it enough. If, I, if I'm ever going to own it, how, it's either $6 it's or now or never. Plus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, literally. So, I mean, I think uh, I was pretty satisfied with that, although I was disappointed that there wasn't much at Best Buy that I cared enough to own. Mm-hmm. That was my thing. I mean, you know, it would have been a great one was that box set of the classic monster movies. I don't know if you saw yeah. it there or it was gone. Like I, or was it was it off? You, you got to know that a lot of those special edition ones, like like it, it's the ones that are going to go on the sale are just the regular by the numbers Blu rays. Yeah, you got to understand that. And for most people, that's fine. That's more than fine. Yeah. For us, we're we're curators. We you know we we have a more particular taste. <laughs> we like the fancy stuff. We do. Yeah. Um, we sound like we sound like really like uh, uppity wine tasters or something. <laughs> I I think this this podcast has more than shown that we're assholes. So it's okay. It's okay. Um, <laughs> like well-meaning assholes, perhaps. We try very hard to mean well. <laughs> very hard. Um, I think so. Anyway, like if if there's a film that I'm gonna own. 
I I try to get. If there's like a special edition of it that I like, I try to get it. But it's it's so difficult because with some films, there's so many different variations. There's the Steelbook, then they have like Walmart exclusives or Target exclusives. Like we re- have Target exclusives, which we've talked about on the yeah, show. Yeah, we before. love the Target exclusives. Um, mm-hmm. So. And, like, we're the kind of people who would check out all the different variations and be like, hmm, this looks good with the steelbook. Look at the artwork on it is superb. Yeah, we're very much those people. And then we swirl our wine. Um, <laughs> and we, I mean, I told you. I told you for me. I, I, I walk into Best Buy every week for the, for the sole purpose of looking at what's on sale. Yeah. Uh, what do they have? What's new? How much is it? And um, I do that for fun. That's what I love to do. Just, um, and also, like movies is yeah. our thing. So, like, obviously, it's sort of like if you're really into baseball. So, like, you're really into collecting baseball cards. Yeah, oh, it's, it's similar to that. You know, go ahead. <laughs> so, I'm not even sure if I. I'm not even sure if I made mention that I did order Lawrence of Arabia. It's already at my house. Oh, the big one. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned that like seventy like, times. I'm sure I have. I'm not, well, maybe not on this show, but maybe on mm-hmm. to you, um, which I cannot wait to see it. Um, just counting the days until I go back home. Uh, literally, it's in my dreams now. Um, but the thing about Best Buy is what 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 left me a bit disappointed was that a lot of the films that were labeled sale toward the you know the back section where they usually are at weren't really on sale because uh, yeah. if you if you know how what they usually are. You know that that price is just the exact same thing as it was last week. They just say sale, which I guess that's capitalism, right? So that that's the issue with Black Friday. You can't take, you can't just go to a store, get and expect everything to be on sale, get whatever off the shelf, and expect it to be on sale. When I see the ones that were in the seven ninety nine, I was like, oh yeah, this is definitely a deal. Even the fourteen ninety yeah. ones, like you can, I know what the prices were. These are definitely a deals. But then also I went to the back rack and I'm like, yeah, mm. these are the same. Yeah, they really are. But I'm like, that's to me, that's okay. Cause I didn't even expect any deals really. I expected like yeah. two movies that no one gave a shit about to be like discounted down. Um, but strangely, I actually didn't get anything at Best Buy. I went to Target and I got a film there. Well, actually, you know what? We're Best Buy guys in the sense that that's the place you go to and get the deals. Although, we're Target people when it comes to their exclusive Blu-rays. Yes. So it's interesting. It's an interesting paradigm. You usually go back, but in, back and forth between Target and Best Buy when looking for these things. Never do Amazon because you never know. Oh, that's another thing. Like me, I need the slipcover if, it, if it's a. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's something I need. If it's something that doesn't include that, then I'll be okay. But I know that for me, uh, one of my favorite films, in which I, I always talk about, is Boyhood. When I acquired Boyhood, it was through Amazon. And I cannot express to you how disappointed I was that it did not have the slipcover. And what was actually quite touching is that, well, touching maybe a bit too much, but was really interesting is that Peter, for one Christmas, did give to me the the wonderful boyhood slipcover that I had been missing all my life. Yes. Uh, Dreams do come true. (laughs) (laughs) They do come true. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> I had to order it a little bit ahead of time, though, because it took 12 years to get there. Yes, it did. <laughs> and it almost won Best Picture. Almost. Well, I think we've exhausted the amount of things we can talk about in one podcast. Uh, I want to thank Peter for joining me today. I want to remind people that you can uh, listen to our podcasts every single Sunday and sometimes on Thursdays on uh, the feed at podcast.com, on Google Play, Mixler, and iTunes, uh, as well as the Fantasy Fair podcast on Monday and Friday, which, by the way, uh, coming up we have a review for, well, actually, by the time you're listening to it, I should say, up on this channel already, a review between myself, Alexis Moreno, and Peter, and not Peter, sorry, and, and the ghost of Peter Martinez, and Kyle Lira on Ralph Breaks the Internet, uh, which I do recommend fun, you fun, listen fun. to that, because I, fun, fun, fun stuff, and uh, uh, really kind of relatable to uh, what we're having in our lives, so I think it was a nice podcast, um, and yeah, also uh, Doctor Who is in full swing, going into the, the final uh, episodes here on who knows which happens every single tuesday with me and kyle lara and so on and so forth uh thank you so much for listening this week as uh you do every week we're so appreciative and thankful of that and we will see you next time and until then bye bye